0: This episode of Let's Grow with William Padilla Brown is brought to you by our sponsor, Grow Strong Industries. Limited space cramping your green thumb? Need a compact solution that delivers big results? Look no further. Gorilla Grow Tents feature adjustable heights and a reflective lining that maximizes light distribution, ensuring your cultivation endeavors receive the full spectrum of illumination they need to thrive. Visit GrowStrongIndustries.com today. And explore their range of compact, high quality tents. And don't forget to use our promo code, let's grow, for 10% off any of their products.
1: It's H2O. All right, this
0: is take three for Let's Grow with William via Brown. Let's go. Cheers. Let's grow.
2: All right, everybody. Welcome to Let's Grow with William Padilla Brown. We're here with the mushroom merchants. I got Adam on my right. I got Donovan on my left. Um, And uh, yeah, these are the guys. This is our first certified uh, growers, uh, mycosymbiotic certified growers. So the first people that are, um, you know, qualified. We've checked all their standards. They've gone through our classes. Uh, We've seen how their grow goes. We've seen the outputs. We've checked the grading and everything. Um, And now they're growing cordyceps for us with us um, to supply all of y'all. Uh, so, you know, we're all here. We all love mushroom growing. I mean shit. Y'all are called the mushroom merchants. <laughs> yes, sir um, So we're here to talk a little bit about mushroom cultivation But before we get all into it, how about y'all tell our crowd a little bit more about who y'all are how we all got Interacted interconnected.
3: Yeah, I'll lead us off. Yes. My name is Admir Boski. I am a co-founder of mushroom merchants I got into mushrooms through this guy right here Donovan is uh, my cousin And yeah, I didn't really know much about mushrooms at all up until two-ish years ago. Um, I was a poker player for a few years, big into crypto uh, during the bull market. I had a couple businesses with my brother. And then Donovan came along one day and had the idea for um, starting a cultivation business. Wait, hold on. How old are you, bro? 26. When did you start
2: playing poker? Uh, 18, 18. Is yes. that when you were allowed to start playing poker? Or yeah, yeah, whatever. yeah.
3: Like online poker mm-hmm. on these like offshore sites. Um, but yeah, that was like my big thing. Uh, for many years playing poker. I still play to this day, not as much as I used to, because mm-hmm. I cultivate mushrooms full time now. But yeah, so I, I literally knew nothing about mushrooms. Then Donovan, um, mentioned Fantastic Fungi, the documentary, like two three years ago. I watched him was just mind blown, like many times throughout the documentary. So I was like, man, this is something I need to look further into. And then he mentioned the idea of start, starting a business. And Johnny, my brother and I were looking for some ways to make money at the time outside of crypto. Cause we were like full-time crypto space at this point. But the, the bull market was over and markets were collapsing. So a lot of the money we had made, we had lost. And the businesses we had in the crypto space weren't nearly as lucrative as it once were. So we, like man we want to diversify somehow we don't really have the skill set though to start a business in any other field and then Donovan had the idea of starting a mushroom cultivation company so we didn't know anything but we just invested in him to kind of steer the ship for the first little while and here we are like two years later we got a fully functional facility I'm learning every day from from him and just from getting in there doing the work and my hands dirty. Mm-hmm. and have just fallen in love with the space like it's it's literally a never-ending rabbit hole of information you can get into when you learn about mushrooms and it just connects you so much more to nature and your environment Preach. Preach. it's a whole other side that in like typical western life you're just so blind to mm-hmm. and it's it's just like a whole other world that's opened up so i'm very grateful for for the experience of working in this field now and uh grateful to you for for the guidance and mentorship you've given us and yeah it's been a lot of fun um so that was kind of my introduction to mushrooms now i'm full time with it uh just growing every day with with donovan and and our family his sister tally is very involved with us his mom helps full us a lot by. full yes, family buy, full family business yeah, yeah so keep it yeah that's, that's pretty much it yeah
2: so where's the seed my g where where did this come from yeah you seem to have seeded your family with the bug
1: well um nature seeded me you yeah. know, whenever I was 15 years old, I had a passion, as a lot of 15-year-olds do, uh, for smoking weed, for lack of a better term. How about it? And we lived in central Florida, all around large cattle pastures, and um, if you know anything about the mushrooms of the southeast United States, you know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to leave it at that. So I messed around, (laughs) found some things out, and really didn't think much of it, but I moved back up here to central Pennsylvania and a friend of mine, a family friend of mine was running a hemp business, cultivating uh, hemp in my town. So I was, so I messaged him and I was like, Hey, I'd like to come learn from you. I'd like to come interact with you a little bit. He invited me out. I trimmed with him, just did some stuff with him for the day. Year later, he's like, yo, come, come on, basically work full time for me. So I did that for about a year. And in between this time, as I was building my passion for growing things um, and just interacting with my local ecology. Uh, my mom, on, I think it was the summer, or I'm sorry, the winter of 2019, got me a North Spore lion's mane grow kit. And I had, besides foraging for the this, this special mushrooms in Florida, I really knew nothing about mushrooms. So I took that grow kit, cultivated it, and grew some little baby ugly-looking lines, man, but I was like, I want to do this better, I want to do this the right way. Went on the internet, just kind of YouTubed, read it, just read things that I could find online, and um, ended up building my own little home-grow mushroom farm. Uh, and at the same time, my mother was working for the Pennsylvania cannabis uh, industry at a dispensary, and one of her customers is sitting to my right. And she was like, yeah, she came home to me one night and was like, yo, you got to meet this guy. He's, he's you'll you'll love him. You'll he's doing some really cool work in the area. I, you just got to meet him. A couple weeks went by. Uh, we ended up getting connected and I can't remember. The f- I think I went to one of your classes for the first time in 20. 20- probably 2020 or 20, early 2021.
2: Yeah, something around then.
1: And I was still kind of on the fence about everything. I wasn't sure. I was just finished with high school. I was going to community college because I wasn't really sure where I wanted to, where I wanted to end up falling into. And Microfest. It was, it was the summer of 2021. Microfest was coming up and I was like, do I want to go? Do I, do I not want to go? Luckily, I made the decision to go. And as soon as I got there and I just met the people that were around me, uh, interacted with some of the minds that were there, I was like, this is it this is this is what i gotta be doing it it just really called to me if fast forward to now things have just kind of aligned almost perfectly and we're cultivating cordyceps in a 2400 square foot old refurbished barn that we basically ripped apart with our own hands took about a year ripping the floor ripping the original flooring out ripping the walls changing the entire infrastructure of the building now we're cultivating out of it and um, doing some some pretty large quantities of, of cordyceps at the current moment.
3: Yes, yeah, one of the biggest operations as far as we know. Um, so we've just been learning from Will, trying to like the real focus is on quality right now over quantity, but we do keep up with a good amount of quantity on a regular basis. But we're just getting better and better. You stay with it, and yeah, like things definitely just fell into place perfectly. So yeah,
2: well. It's been great. I mean to get into to get into like cultivation a little bit since that's the topic of the day. Like, I mean we're all cultivating indoors for the most part right now. Mycosymbiotics um, does have some outdoor cultivation. We did outdoor cultivation in Dillsburg last year. We're doing a little bit of setting up for uh, a bamboo shade hut outside, um, but all of us are cultivating indoors. Um, I think it would be cool to just tell the audience a little bit about what that entails in the sense of mushroom cultivation. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of the general public believes that mushroom cultivation is all like with compost or animal manure and dark rooms. And even today we had people from the bank come in and they were like, I was like, hey, yeah, our mushrooms are inside. We do all this other farming outside. They're like, oh, yeah, because the mushrooms need to be dark and and damp and stuff. Right. And I was like, no, this is is not like traditional mushroom cultivation. Mm -hmm. This is something different. So, um, yeah. What's it like? What's your farm look
1: like? I just want to touch on that point. Like, it's so interesting to me. Interacting with people in Pennsylvania, just like blowing their minds and just like, I feel like everyone, most people that I interact with, that's their exact sentiment. They're like, oh, so it needs to be dark and you're using compost or manure. And, and I'm like, I'm not even going to get into it. Like, I don't have time to get into it with you. But um, as Full I said, I, I began gr- with gourmet cultivation uh, of lion's mane. And that's where I was at for about a year and a half. I cultivated things like oysters, lion's mane, a couple different strains of oysters, uh, and I really, really enjoyed the growing lion's mane probably because it was the first thing that I ever got my hands on. Ended up getting a culture from from mycosymbiotics and just grew a lot of lion's mane. But I was doing all hardwood substrates, was able to, with your help, supply that, pretty much zero cost here in the state of Pennsylvania, which is amazing that It's almost like a full closed-loop system. You're not going to the store to buy pellets or buy, like, a third-party product. You're just using waste from another industry Mm -hmm. and using that to produce nutrition food. But what was I going to say? I've tried growing different types of mushrooms on pretty much, like, whenever I was working for the hemp, business that I was par- paired with. I was doing some experiments with that, just kind of like on my own. I didn't really document it or anything, which I'm kind of kicking myself for now. Hey, but document I Document everything. Yeah, document everything. Write everything down, take picture, even just with your phone, you can mm-hmm. do it all pretty much. Mm-hmm. But I was taking the hemp stalks, drying them down, letting them sun dry for like a day, grinding them up, and I would just throw that into a substrate mix. I'd try doing it with no wood, trying to just do all hemp, some mix, some mix with some supplement. Or grow mushrooms off of it. Yeah, and okay. I actually had some. A lot of those different strains that I tried almost seemed to like the hemp more than it liked the the hardwood, which was really really interesting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those, a lot of the farmers around here, and I'm sure all over the place, were just taking their excess from their from their crop and just burning it, or just doing something to destroy it. So I feel like that's something needing more research or needing more. Uh, time put into it
2: yeah yeah back in uh back in like probably 2014 2015 i got sponsored by a uh, by a hemp company in canada they sent me a bunch of hemp herd in the mail and i did some experimentation on growing mushrooms with it and they just did incredible they performed incredible great yields uh great texture in the mushrooms everything um, so I think there's a lot of space there, um, especially because the hemp industry and the cannabis industry is still going through prohibition and all sorts of interesting regulation where so many people are ending up with, like, just throwing the hemp fiber in the field mm-hmm. um, at the end or burning it or going through some other weird yeah. regulatory disposal process. Um, so I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. Definitely- um, but, yeah, like, getting back to it, like... What what does your farm look like? What's an indoor grow look like these days?
1: So our farm, at the current moment, we're just doing cordyceps. And I elected to do that for a couple of reasons. Main reason being that we're on the second story. And a lot of the infrastructure of this old building, I was kind of not wanting to put any more stress on it than it already had been. It had been vacant for 40-plus years. We were told this 40 room, years.
3: The room we were in, yeah, yeah. specifically.
1: Yeah. So... I didn't want to put any stress of adding in the humidification or adding any water and getting that seeping up into the floorboards and then having something heavy fall through it. That was kind of one of my big concerns. So with the Cordyceps, the way our farm looks, it's a bunch of 10 by 10 grow tents. Uh, You could go smaller. I don't think they make the Gorilla grow tents. They make the 10 by 20. That's about the biggest that I know of. But we have 10... Four 10 by tens, one's an incubation tent. They all have wire rack shelving in them. And we have like a separate lab room that we have just one four by two by four flow hood in. And that's pretty much it. We have rolling carts, which I highly recommend if you're trying to build out a farm or get things. I was initially trying to find like little carts to push things around on but the rolling uh four by what are they four feet by 18 inches i think something like that yeah Yeah. those are like a game changer because you can just throw all your stuff onto it wheel it into a different room wheel it across to a different tent Mm -hmm. just move everything around it's the best Mm -hmm. i also love those like
2: like i used to work in restaurants and they have like these like trays that you put into a dishwasher mm -hmm. and it fits right into the dishwasher and it can hold like a bunch of cups and stuff i love those for like moving jars around Mm
0: -hmm.
3: okay yeah i know exactly what you're talking about Mm -hmm. i used to work at shrugs and that's what they would like how they clean all the glasses and stuff in there Mm -hmm. yeah our farm it's it's like one open big room four tents along the wall plenty of space to like scale up production which we do want to get to eventually like add in two three more tents Mm -hmm. um we could even get some pictures like just to pop up maybe at Mm -hmm. some point but it's for sure it's like a big open room like donovan said four tents uh we try
1: to keep all the shelves full how many shelves would you say we have per tent like is it Eight? There's eight per ten. Eight per ten, yeah. And some of them we've modded to be, like, they're five-tier tents initially, but a lot of them we've modded to be, like, six or seven-tier. Mm-hmm. We don't want to over-pack them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
3: and we're getting eight to ten bags per shelf, so... I mean, and good. again,
1: why did
2: you you, you, you... you explained briefly, but why did you choose to go with a functional mushroom? Why did you choose to go with cordyceps, like, just just for the sake of the integrity of the building? or? Partial,
1: yeah, I think that that was, like, my main concern. I'm, I was just really paranoid about that and something... Mm-hmm going wrong with the building also the amount of substrate we're on the second floor so the amount of substrate that we were going to have to be moving mm-hmm. up and down those stairs and I was thinking if we were going to do gourmet we'd have to develop like a pulley system or an elevator system to get you know thousands of pounds of substrate up and down mm-hmm. all the time definitely operated on the second floor
2: before and it's it's, def- it's definitely an interesting dynamic for a mushroom
1: farm it's a challenge especially yeah. with the heat in the summer that's one thing that we just recently implemented was uh, we have a central air HVAC unit, but we have split uh, duct units coming off of it directly into our tents. So we have found that to be extremely beneficial mm-hmm. with managing temperatures. And I'd even recommend that if you're doing it in an area that's prone to heat with just basically any strain of mushroom that's... Just piping just the HVAC. Piping the HVAC. Machine. If you're going to grow in tents or if you're going to build a big grow room, pipe... HVAC pipe AC directly into it. Yeah. Cause that's your, your temperature is going to be hard to fight, especially in the summers, unless you live somewhere really, really cold.
3: Yeah. It can ruin your yields, which you obviously want to avoid as much as possible. That's why I like basements for,
2: uh, for, yeah. for growing indoors. I mean, we're in a basement right now. It's a great, it, it does keep a more consistent temperature. This one though, we have windows on the side, so it's cold as, it's cold as ever in winter time out here. Um, down here um but yeah so I mean I've grown over like at this point like 35 or so different species of mushrooms um and figuring out which mushrooms you want to grow I mean I really think like that's what will help a lot of people stand out in the industry moving forward um there's a lot of people doing a lot of the same thing um another thing we will bring Justin in at some point but Cultivating outdoors that's at scale and in introducing some of these uh, Asian cultivation techniques. I found to be very uh, Very beneficial in the sense of like less energy Like indoor farms tend to be significantly energy intensive with all the electricity needed to control an environment um, whenever seasonally in most places in the world There's at least some point part of the year where you can grow mushrooms unless you're like in a desert desert, mm-hmm. yeah um, where, where indoor cultivation becomes more more uh, uh, viable. Um, so uh, what about inputs? Like, What kind of stuff are you all using for your grow? We're,
1: we basically copied the mycosymbiotics uh, substrate recipe. Mm-hmm. And we're just now getting harvests from that and everything's looking really good. They look really strong and a lot, I don't want to say healthier, but there's more pigment in the mycelium and also in the fruiting bodies and maybe probably even like a stronger smell coming off of them. What genetics are y'all rocking? So we have done everything from... We've, we have I've tried a bunch of stuff from Appalachian Gold. I've tried a lot of stuff from terrestrial fungi. I wasn't really keeping the closest tabs on what was going to end up working best for us. Mm-hmm. But we really like the mound 4-4, BX-3, BX-1, I think. It's off the top of my head, I think that's... Bro, that's, I mean, to I, remember all that. Yeah. The, yeah. I just picked up a, eight different um, cultures, mm-hmm. and, like, all the names are, like, one digit off, and it's just, like, making my head explode. But the mm-hmm. I, the BX-3, BX-1, I believe, is, like, the main... we got to have nicknames for these things. Facts. yeah, yeah. The that's the that's the one that I've found to yield really really well produce produces the biggest best looking cordyceps in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That is one that we're going to continue to run regardless of what we run next to it. That's going to be one that's going to constantly be in cycle.
3: Yeah, the Hades from I believe that one's from Appalachian Gold. That one's fun really nice guy. We've had some yeah really good results with that one as well.
1: I don't know the numbers and yeah, now four has definitely
3: been our most consistent and because initially we had a very basic substrate recipe. It was just Nutritional yeast, tapioca starch and um, multivitamin the yeah the the multivitamin so it's just very simple, but now we've up there there's there's so much more going on selenium, activated charcoal, kelp meal, uh, malt extract, so we have way more like the Mycosymbiotic certified set recipe um, and we haven't got analytics done since we've transitioned to the new recipe yet, but like Diamond was saying, it just seems like. The mushrooms are much happier hey
2: right? we got analytics done yeah. yeah it was yeah, yeah. pretty pretty fine. cranking like the only things yeah. we've seen that were higher than that was cultivated on insects so wow um, uh, and we're about to be certified naturally grown on top of that so like that the recipe that we're utilizing is it qualifies for certified naturally grown which is like like a certification for regular small businesses and not multinational co- like yeah uh, like like conglomerates gotcha. really I mean like like I mean think about it like the fact that we're getting these Chinese mushrooms and and they're certified USDA organic and all these mega corporations that go through the USDA certified organic process like you can do it but like for a regular business it's pretty damn expensive and tedious and takes a lot of energy um, but yeah, we're working on getting our certified naturally grown. We should be complete with that by the end of next week. So that will be pretty nice. cool to have that done for Cordyceps.
3: What are the qualifications for that? Like what would disqualify you from being able to get that?
2: Um, using, uh, any pesticides, herbicides, um, they have to do water test to make sure your water's clean. They have to make sure that your farm is far enough away from anybody that's using pesticides or herbicides. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, uh, and then they want you to have any organic, imp- uh, as many organic inputs as possible. Um, be have transparency about your inputs for any substrates that you're making. Um, and then, as far as like putting the label on our products, as far as putting the label on our products, um, all of the other ingredients that's not grown on our farm has to be either certified organic or certified naturally mm. grown for us to be able to like label our products as certified naturally gotcha, grown. Okay. So. All of our mushrooms, if they're grown with the substrate, that they, we have to submit to them our substrate recipe and all of our sourcing, and they have to approve all of it.
4: Okay.
2: Um, so that's the same for our, our gourmets and our functional mushrooms. Um, and then they have to approve our water source, and then we can say all of our mushrooms are certified naturally grown. Um, and then from there on, just make sure we're using the right ingredients in our products. Um, so I think that would be a huge step up. And just like validating to the community that we really stand behind what we say we, mm. do, what we believe in um, to the extent that we're letting like third-party regulation uh, or uh, third-party entities come in and verify what we're doing um, so uh, uh, maybe it's time for a break break time
0: with Gorilla Grow tents, even in a smaller footprint, your crops, herbs, or any cultivation project will experience optimal growth and yield. Built with premium materials, their tents are designed to last. Durable and tear-resistant, they provide the ideal environment for your cultivation success. Visit growindustries.com today and explore their range of compact, high-quality tents. Use promo code Let's Grow for 10% off their products.
2: Alright guys, we're back and now we got Justin, we brought him into the mix. Justin's our operations manager, you know, he has some things to say as far as cultivation goes and as far as everything else goes, but I want to tell the world a little bit about who
4: you are. So yeah, I'm Justin, I am that I am, uh, I've been into mushrooms since I was three years old, been a forager uh, real heavily pretty much since 2014, I really got into it and cordyceps growing uh, even more so with the cordyceps in our area. But, uh, yeah, now I'm the production manager here at Mycosymbiotics, doing all the growing, product making, pretty much all the back end of uh, the Mycosymbiotics business. That's, uh, that is me.
2: Right on. Well, um, yeah, we we were getting back into the mix, um, and we were having some fun conversations offline, you know, maybe we'll get some snippets. (laughs) Um, but, uh bringing it back into current events and current steps, you know, uh, there's been a lot going on in the industry, especially with the breeders. Um, the bre- I mean, the breeders are definitely of their own class in the game. You know what I mean? Like the breeders in the Cordyceps scene are some of the players that I've been seeing play since, since playtime started. You know what I mean? Um, we have Ryan Gates who literally was the only person that corresponded with me to any significant extent. After we found the first cultures uh, uh, at Microsymbiotics Mushroom Arts Festival Number One in 2015, um, and then we have uh, then we have uh, Jeff um, over at Appalachian Gold um, who have cracked the code on uh, egg cultivation. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about it. What's the up with it?
4: Cultivation that has been. I recently saw them talking about how so many people think it's just CG. Yeah, people think it's like, AI. It's so crazy that it's yeah. like, there's no way that's possible. Um, you've tried it before. Yeah, because, like,
2: I mean, it. like, anybody, it, it, it didn't go very well. Dang. It stank. It was rank. But, like, the, anybody that's like, like, anybody that's an OG in this, anybody that's been growing cordyceps or been watching this since, you know, we really started kicking it off, which, you know, it was a pretty eclectic small community online before. But uh, we shared, like, all the videos back in the day that we were finding on cultivating cordyceps, on anything about cordyceps militaris. And there was, like, multiple videos from China of people growing cordyceps out of eggs. So it was, like, something that we always known has been able to be done. I don't know what inclined them to do it. Um, but you would even see in the recipes from Thailand, people straight crack an egg into the substrate recipe they be putting, like, baby formula in there, crack an egg in there, or throw a whole egg in there and blend it up in a blender with the shell and everything. Wow. They And feed it to the cordyceps, and they're just like, dang, them motherfuckers can eat, you know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, it's been pretty crazy uh, to, to see the breeders on the cutting edge of the cultivation. And, you know, I don't know if, it, if anybody else seen it, but has anybody seen the guy cultivate the cordyceps on the steak?
3: Mm-hmm. No, no, no so. I like them. Yo, they cut like, the on, on a recipe Bro on a raw <laughs> steak bro on a really? meat. Yeah And like, core were actually
4: popping out of it I straight up like,
2: Yeah, I mean it wasn't like it wasn't prolific fruiting of it But like the mycelium like ate the meat bro, like that was like mycelial fermented meat
3: That's why so is it is it very diverse in terms of what it can grow off of it can like,
2: grow on insects and like I think that people forget how nutritionally diverse insects are
3: yeah, like, if you just put cordyceps, like, mycelium in a garden, is it, will it fruit, like, just from in normal dirt and soil? I it... don't believe so. Okay. No, no, no. But it, it will fruit on a steak, though. It will fruit on, on a egg. steak in a controlled environment. Steak yeah. and eggs! It's mineral dense. Eggs. Steak and eggs. I think eggs. the
4: protein levels have a lot to do with it, because, okay. like, a lot of higher protein substrates that we're seeing are producing higher compounds, so yeah. show gotcha. they're really, like, digging that Okay. bug protein or apparently a whole steak. Yeah,
2: nah. It's like it's 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 uh, this to me is like where will it go next in the sense of like. Like, am I gonna have like a cordyceps fermented breakfast at some point? Like, am I gonna have some like I cordyceps hope. bacon and cordyceps yeah. eggs and in the morning? Chocolate <laughs> and a little cup of cordyceps yeah. chocolate in the morning, and just be like zoom. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, geeked for the day. Um. <clears throat> so yeah. Uh getting getting back into the previous conversations though, I mean like I, I I do believe that cordyceps militaris is some sort of like like I don't know, we talk about everything in nature has an ecological function, and then cordyceps out here spitting out everything you need to make DNA and then making you horny. Talk about it. What does this yeah. mean?
3: Well, so when we were cut for a minute there, Justin was mentioning how, so cordycepin is like one of the main medicinal uh, compounds in cordyceps. Functional compounds. Functional compounds, but it A. doesn't, so you are saying it's not, if you just analyze the mycelium of cordyceps, you'll find like little to no cordycepin.
4: Uh, and but, adenosine, uh, guan, guanosine. Uh, they'll be in there, uranine, they'll be absent which as well. is something that isn't as high in the fruiting body. Okay. Uh, I'm just saying like the top five uh, compounds that you're finding in these mycelium extracts. Okay. Uh, so like uranine's traded off for cordycepin, so we're not finding nearly as much uranine in uh, fruiting bodies, but cordycepin now takes hits the top five range. So
3: once so you get to the fruiting those... body. And then, well, because the idea, like when we were talking about how it's, that's such a fascinating thing to me is how like cordyceps is known as like the Tibetan Himalayan Viagra, and then cordycepin starts to pop up in the mushroom as it's about to, produce spores and like reproduce to a degree Seemingly, yeah, yeah. Sure. and then that has an effect on human consumption as well it's just kind of like a it's just a crazy idea how like what is do we need to spiral into repro- how we're being
4: farmed <laughs> <laughs> we i mean yeah, it's, it's like very much like hmm. so it's good for our reproduction and we just keep consuming them because it's good for production and yeah no. it's
2: ecological procession yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the also
4: DNA preservation and stuff like that potentials, which, like, like, not only does it want reproduction, but like healthy reproduction for like yo, continual um, generations for it, it to survive.
2: Th- something that just sp- smacked me in the mind is like, all right, so you think we think about things for their ecological function, like, one of the main goals in life is to reproduce so that your DNA is preserved and the story continues into the future and more information is held in the body into the future, um, complexifying the, the, the next stage. Cordyceps is one of the mushrooms that will senesce faster than any other mushroom. It will lose its ability to produce fruiting bodies. Sometimes under a year, even. Mm-hmm. I bo- and, and it's to so my understanding that this is due to genetic degradation. so. Isn't it crazy that this mushroom is just producing a dumb amount of compounds to keep its DNA healthy whenever it's like
4: it itself isn't so quickly
2: human. space and time will ravish it if it doesn't shoot them spores out and like it's like I don't know there's like there's a deeper conversation to be had here and like what is actually going on like same conversation that I've been like wondering with Lions me like like and this is and like it's it's of human hubris to think it's only for us because there's other things, uh, there's so many other functions in the in the environment.
4: Even its host species that it's coming in contact with. I mean, it wants that. Like I'm saying, it's. I want to say parasitic, but it wants that species to survive. It's a symbiotic relation. It's taking it over, but you know that might be a symbiotic relationship. It's also helping those species in that area. So in with, uh, DNA with the presence with
2: with cordyceps, cordyceps produces some compounds that are are detrimental to an insect, but beneficial to us. So I've never really thought about it in the sense of, like, lion's mane producing, like, these compounds that are trigger or beneficial to our neurological system. But how would those compounds affect the host tree that it's on? Mm. Like, how do those, what do those compounds do in interaction with the tree? Like, is there some deeper conversation that we're not listening to? In the sense of, like, what is the chemical interaction between the fruiting body and the tree? Because those compounds, just like we said, are in the mycelium. What's it say, in
4: the mycelium for if the mycelium's only in the tree? Some bugs, definitely detrimental to them, but other bugs, they're dependent on for spore transportation and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, what's, their, what's the benefit for the bug? Like, it's eating it, but you know, how much of those chemicals is that bug benefiting from in transition with that mushroom? You know?
2: A lot of questions.
3: Yeah. Well, for, for lionsmen, what are the main trees that you'll find lionsmen on? It's very diverse. Is it?
4: Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's regionally specific. So we have a lot of uh, beech trees in this area, kind okay. of like that, but you know deciduous hardwoods, so anything like that. I've so, seen obviously. on yeah.
3: hackberry, oak, maple, well, yeah, I wonder like if the like if a mushroom or a tree is like filled with lines made, mycelium, or there's it's like present to produce lime And I wonder if like whatever fruits come from that tree are altered in any way, like in terms of the compounds inside of them.
2: I mean, who, who, who knows and who's to say at this point, like, as above, so below, right? And we're seeing, like, horizontal gene transfer and organisms consuming other organisms, endosymbiosis and all these kinds of things on, like, a small scale. Yeah. Um, like, if it's as above, so below, like, who's to say that the lion's mane living on the tree or the mushroom that's living on the tree or on the tree roots isn't in some way, like... Like, it's reductionist science to say that they're separate species, it's reductionist science to say that that the amanita and the pine tree that, that is associated with it is not the same thing. It's re, it's reductionist science is to break them down into two species. Like like if then we start breaking down like all the gut organisms in our stomach and all the organisms on our skin. Like them motherfuckers don't got no life without us. You know what I mean? Like we are and we don't got no life without them. So like you know what I mean? Are we gonna just keep breaking everything down? But I think if we can start to look at them and understand like the relationships and the interactions and, you know, seeing them as, like, functions of, or, like, organs or, like, something like that. Like, I feel like we can get a better picture as to, like, what the heck's going on right now. Yeah.
3: Like, parts <laughs> of a bigger hole.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what is actually going on? Full image. Yeah. It's big. Yeah.
1: yeah. Got
3: There's so now. many examples of that in nature. It's like the, the bee and flower situation where you'll never find flowers without bees or bees without flowers. It's like they're separate, but from a higher perspective, they're just one you ever, just one organism, one system.
2: I don't know if maybe this is a wrong reference, but has, have you ever heard about Darwin's finch?
3: I have not, no. All yeah. right,
2: so like Darwin, I mean, like one of the, f- the fathers of evolutionary biology, taxonomy, all this kind of stuff, um, was studying, I believe, in the Galapagos, um, where he found a flower that had a very deep, um, a very deep, Uh, I don't know the technical term like like insert where the where the pistol and all the sexual parts are down and all the nectars down in the Little reservoir. I don't know what the technical terms is. So excuse me, but he was like In order for this flower to look like this There has to be a bird that the beak fits down into the bottom of it or else this flower would not grow this way And so they spent all this time looking I think even left and came back before they found their bird that had the beak that fit into the flower And so like, I see in nature, everything is like this, like, like I I always, I oftentimes quote Terrence McKenna saying, uh, DNA is protein syntax, uttering itself into existence. I feel like it's like a complex thing to think that like DNA is like a, is a living language, but why, why does the Oak leaf look like this pattern and the Maple leaf looks like this? Why does the Maple leaf have a little helicopter seed and the Oak has a little acorn with a cap on it? All of those things. Are, sh- are telling you a story about the existence of this thing through space and time about what it interacted with what kind of organisms have been around like what the environment was like and when we can remove our lenses of reductionist science and like see things with a more full picture I feel like it's literally just trying to tell you like shit like I got this deep ass flower because there's a motherfucking bird that likes to stick its nose in here or like you know my flower looks like this because there's a bug that like and comes in and sticks his little, his little hands around and stuff for like, you know, like all sorts of different scenarios like this. I feel like will become more clear to us when we can, you know, again, see like a more full picture.
3: Yeah. So do you think like every flower, every tree has some kind of, I guess it makes sense that it is shaped that way or it is that way for some reason that's beneficial to its whole To the the environment. Mm -hmm.
2: And if you Mm -hmm. take this back, if you take this, all right, so like when we look at fungi, right, in the soil, some fungi will farm bacteria or farm microorganisms, and some fungi will just produce, and that same fungi, you'll see it produce antibiotics for different organisms. So if you take that understanding back to when fungi and algae were the dominant organisms on land and they were the ones that were developing ecosystems on land, any little microorganism that comes into the mix and it's like, yo, hey, I'm about to come up in here and eat this motherfucking algae. Like, and, this, and this fungi's like, no, you're not because I depend on this algae to create this ecosystem that I'm making antibiotic on you. But like, then this other organism comes in and it's like, yo, I see this fungi over here and this algae over here and they're making debris. And if I eat this debris and poop it out, like, I find my little spot over here. And then the fungi's like, oh shit, I like your poop. Like, I'll eat that. You, you belong here. You come, come in here and start being part of our system. All organisms evolve from microorganisms. So, if all terrestrial organisms evolve from microorganisms, and the whole time fungi is like, "Nah, you don't belong. You belong." Like, there's so many levels to that, and how, oh, yeah. how environments evolved, and like, for that reason, in my permaculture classes, I I have a segment called "Trees as Ecosystem Pillars." Because when you look at the tree, as far as terrestrial organ, as far as terrestrial ecosystems go, it's like, like for each tree there's a class of organisms that evolved around the things it drops or the fungi that comes up around it or like the environment that it creates and all that kind of stuff. So like to some extent, you know, there's some generalist organisms that are able to move through the mix of the different ecosystems. But then there's a lot of specialized organisms that literally like lives in this one tree or lives in this association, like with this one environment. Um, So yeah, I do, I do believe that for like every tree, there's like some organisms associated with it or for every flower, there's like some organisms associated with it. And, um, I mean, this is how we even learn about megafauna that aren't here anymore. Like no, one we know for a fact, no environment will produce a fruit with a seed that cannot be swallowed by the largest organism in the environment. So like at no point in time, will a plant produce a seed that cannot be swallowed by, by, by at least the biggest organism in the environment. But there's avocados in place where there's nothing that can swallow an avocado. Mm-hmm. We have the Osage oranges up here. Um, uh, and on a whole different note, we have the honey locust that has just giant spikes dangling off the side of it. Um, so we can look at these, at these plants and, and speculate and even understand about organisms that are not here anymore. And I think that this is really important, considering 99.9% of life that existed on our planet is extinct. So like we can look at what we have left to see what was you know
3: Yeah once here. So you're thinking in most cases, like an avocado tree for example, <clears throat> it exists in environments where there's not a large organism that could eat the seed of an avocado because humans have just planted them where they're not like native to, or because at one point in time there were Bigger animals. Bigger animals that used to exist that could eat them. Have you heard about megafauna before? I kind of assumed, like, uh, are you th- are you talking about like woolly mammoth type of stuff? Woolly or? mammoth were a type of megafauna,
2: but there was a whole class of giant animals that existed like here, like post dinosaurs. Post dinosaurs, and then they most of them died off around the last ice age, so about ten thousand years ago. Okay.
3: What are other examples other than
2: giant sloths, dire wolves, short-faced bears, cave bears, uh, saber toothed tiger, saber uh, cats, okay. um, uh, like. Uh, I think there was like a giant ass armadillo type thing. Um, there was a
1: cape lion in Africa that was like. There was rhinos the here. of a normal lion. There
2: was there was straight, yeah there was giant rhinos here, um, a whole bunch. There's like a whole bunch of. I mean like you, I, we could, we should do a, a little deep dive on megafauna <laughs> yeah, at seriously? some point. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, so there was there was uh, there was a lot of giant sloths in the Americas I've throughout never the heard Americas. Of Yeah, bro. A lot of those
3: other ones I have heard of before at Mm -hmm. one point in time, but never giant sloths. There
2: was cave sloths. There were sloths that used to dig into the into holes into the ground. Like in South America, you can even still see like uh, uh, like fossilized caves that was just a burrow for a giant sloth. Like so, there's like, yeah. uh, I mean, imagine like the the. It reminds me of like the the badgers from from uh, from Avatar. Avatar, yeah, but uh, I learned. hmm Imagine. That,
3: is that when they're traveling through that cave? And like are you talking about the Avatar dark? The, the last airbender? Yeah, Avatar? Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. I just watched that relatively recently, actually, like a few months ago. I binge watched that whole thing. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. But yep. that would be an interesting episode. Just do a deep dive at or some point. Megapon. Yeah. Hell yeah.
2: Seriously. Imagine imagine pulling up on a cave, you're like a primitive human, you go walk in this cave and a giant a motherfucking giant sloth comes out that bitch <laughs> like, whoa. But like at the same time, I'm like I like I go deep when I think about these kinds of things, and I like I love the show PBS Eons on YouTube. It goes and talks about deep space and deep time, all this, all the different uh, deep evolution, uh, and I could only imagine like the type of underground fungi that the like a giant sloth is interacting with and eating. Imagine the truffles that that thing found, bro. Imagine the truffles that evolved around that thing, cause like like I have that whole theory, the truffled volt theory about how truffles started to advance mammalian neurological systems after the the KPG extinction event 65 million years ago and Of course truffles would diversify around animals. They literally need animals to poop out their spores but this goes on to like the conversation that we we're having before about like about the cordyceps like farming us or, or Bringing us into some next stage of ecological procession. I think that fungi have been working on us this whole time like I feel like so many I feel like so many religions in, in ideologies makes it seem like the gods and the heavens is like something so far away and something so untangible. But I think on a multi-dimensional perspective, like everything is here right now, showing itself in different ways. But like truffles produce anandamide and induce adult neurogenesis and can increase brain neurological branching and advancement. Um, then it goes into into Trans McKenna's Stone Dape theory about like psilocybin advancing our brains. And now we're in this moment where we know that we can utilize lion's mane to like, literally generate nerves. And we're at the point in time where we can like, you know, decide how we want to domesticate ourselves with all of the things that we have at hand. But I do feel to some extent, the mushrooms are complexifying us to make us more like them in the sense of our nervous system. Like when we talk about as above, so below, Our nervous system looks more like a mushroom mycelium than any other part of us if you look at like the basic wiring system of how we work looks like mycelium so uh and i don't know i just i think i think that they're kind of coaxing us into like higher complexity because then more more interesting things happen
4: yeah
3: i see mushrooms as like since i just Relatively recently past couple of years started actually learning about like I literally knew nothing about mushrooms till we started the business mm-hmm. but um, I kind of view them as like They give you certain buffs like I used to be a big gamer back in the day and like you could take different potions Like give your character plus 20 like stamina or agility or mm-hmm, something It's mm-hmm. like have you taken cordyceps as like I get plus 10 endurance for the day plus ten mm-hmm. energy Like lion's mane plus 10 intelligence. It's like just enhances your organism. Mm-hmm. Like you're just giving yourself like bonus powers or, or increased abilities basically mm-hmm. is how i see it now a hundred percent
4: we think about mushroom farming people the psych the psychotherapy push right now like yeah. how much of that is you know farming yeah. that's mm-hmm. a big movement
3: mm-hmm. huge well i've just, like mushrooms are they're becoming way more mainstream than any other point in my life still plenty of people i talk to have no like they just know portobellos, baby bellas, like the gourmet mushrooms you eat, but the medicinal mm-hmm. ones, I mean, I feel like every single day are becoming more just like known about and understood. And I think like Mudwater and and companies like that are definitely helping like people getting substitutes for coffee and they're like, what are all these things, what are all these mushrooms that are in this thing? What do these do? Um, so people are figuring it out. And just as, as someone who recently started taking mushrooms on a regular basis, like it's, the effects are real from what I can tell.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: yeah. In, in it, it, I think a lot of it has to do also with like efficacious doses so like that's why we've been pushing domestic mushrooms and making sure that you know how much is in there um, because a lot of people have been sold some Chinese powder at a low dose and I'm not saying that the Chinese powder isn't efficacious but I'm saying that you need a significant amount to feel something mm-hmm. you know what I mean like and not just that you need a significant amount but you also need to be able to consume it on a regular basis to start to develop a relationship with it and understand how it affects your body and allow your body to like really experience you know the compounds. Um so
3: yeah, I mean but <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, we've been talking for a long. Yeah. But yeah, I mean I've never cultivated outdoors so I really don't have much to speak on there, but um take it away, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: The only outdoor cultivation to take or uh like background, I, I don't even have background in doing it personally, but um, I knew a couple of people who had outdoor cube farms in Florida.
4: Something I got to experience for my first time in Antigua. Yeah. Um, oh, that's wild. Yeah. So they don't really have written laws on psilocybe or psilocybe mushrooms at all yet. Okay. Uh, so one, it's found native. And two, you can just grow it. So I saw some and just like some pans outdoors. Just growing outdoors in these little pans. And that was like a secondary thing because the grower already did uh, uh, golden oysters not golden oysters, but pink oysters. Okay. So I just had like crates of golden mo- or pink oyster bags, and then just like little trays sitting off to the side of <laughs> these
0: like,
4: they have like velocity. um
3: Did they have like dispensaries or retail shops, or was it all just like you just have to grow your own? There's there's no law against growing your own, but you can like commercially
4: sell it. Um, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I mean, it's not in the laws, so, yeah. probably no, so both, yes. Okay. Um, there's not many people doing it, it's not in the culture. I feel like most of all of that island is very much, like, even the pink oysters are just going to resorts or to yachts oh. when they land. Okay, wow. Very much tourist-driven type thing. Still an educational thing that needs to develop in some of those areas of, like, because their culture's not really grown around much of consumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, at, at, that part needs to be built in some of those areas. But uh, yeah, I got to experience that. I was like, dang. T- and around here, they do it too. Um, just like patch, wood patch growing, slossopy mm-hmm. mushrooms. But yeah, I got to play around with uh, trench grows with rishi and maitake mushrooms, where you just dig the logs right into uh, the ground with some, ni- some decent irrigation and drainage and uh, like sawdust on top, and you just cover it. Rid- And it's seasonal, uh, like a lot of the outdoor mushroom growing is. But when it comes in, you're talking, like, easily one run where you just put 30 blocks in, you can get 300 pounds just because of the momentum that it can get through the season and everything that it's feeding off of is just growing off of a block. Mm -hmm. So you can get a lot of mass. And sometimes, you know, because of the nutrients and how it's built up, you can get two, three flushes in a single season just because it's fruiting off regularly. Um, straight to like a bamboo hut type system with a shade cloth that we did. Um, and I fi- it finished up like 30 foot by 16, a lot larger than I originally anticipated.
3: What are you guys going to have in there? Are you going to have logs? Uh, so I, I did that
4: for four years in, uh, at my dad's property in Dillsburg. Okay. Um, and we did mostly blocks in there, a couple of shiitake log blocks gotcha. as well. Um, and just rotated grow because that was my only way to grow mushrooms for a little while, so I had to be a little bit more on the dependent side of so okay. just like making sure the block's fruited on time. Um, yeah, but just doing like the peg growing, where now it's just like holes and substrate, uh, and just like capping it with beeswax or whatever. Okay. Um, that's like the longest way you can keep your mushrooms growing outdoors. Um, but it's seasonal dependent, another one of those, so. We did a lot of uh, block grows. We grew anything seasonally. Uh, even during the winter time, we were growing inokis outdoors and pines mains. And and in the summertime, we grew the ischnoderma resinosum, the, the resinous polypore mushroom. Mm-hmm. Pork in the woods. Which is yeah. crazy. It's seasonal much. It's season is like after the first snap. So it likes like that 45, 37 degree temps. So it was like 101 degrees, I think, was the hottest day. It was just chilling out there. And nothing was just pumping. So pretty wild, kind of what you can do. We're in an area where we're allowed to just, or we can just grow outside and not have to worry about watering a whole lot, temperatures, humidity, kind of range where we're, if they need to, in like this temperate seven B zone. So it helps a little bit to have that at our hands. I can imagine like some places they're a little more desert fried. Yeah, you don't to have the option, yeah, you're using a lot of water to have an outdoor operation like that. But we got that benefit I recommend it if you do. Yeah. Cordy's a little different. growing yeah. outdoors. <laughs> they do it in, yeah.
2: in some South Pacific countries, and I have no idea how. No. What do they grow
3: on? Brown rice mm-hmm. stuff? In jars. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, but yeah, I got a picture like in one of my presentations, like, like growing them in jars. With like,
2: yeah, it was like, like plastic wrap on top instead of lids.
3: Well, how warm does it get?
2: South Pacific mm. is pretty damn warm.
3: Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised that they don't have issues with Cow and that's back. why I started growing hot when like I was younger.
4: Cooling slash heating, maybe. Yeah. It's like similar. Yeah,
2: yeah it could be. Oh. Uh, after I knew they were growing in, in the hot country, I was like, oh, they probably like it warm. They grow in the summer. L- little did we know. The ground temperature.
4: <laughs> Yo, it's all about that. It's always the same. <laughs>
2: yeah, so. Um they uh um what's the name? Jaron Deshane. I think that was a guy up in New York that uh, put temperature probes in the, in, the in the ground and every time he was finding cordyceps like two summers ago, three summers ago maybe. It's like oh, it's mostly like 63. So it was really cool to get that data. Yeah. On uh, on the temperatures they like to grow in.
3: Yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. If it's too warm, they just won't grow. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That do it. Yeah.
2: Right on. So. Uh, pew pew kachu. Um, are we missing anything, Clinton?
0: Um, I would talk on more of, like, modern research about how it can, I would just talk about micro-remediation, different applications of mushroom growing aside from just growing for eating or medicine, and then end on, it's good to see, like, this mycological revolution almost like a good. It's been a good starting. Even though it's a trend, it's a good starting point for people to like return to the roots of actually growing something and shit like that. You know, and can kind of like conclude there.
3: Okay. Yeah. Tying in the uh, the substrate as chicken feed in some way, I think would be great too. In terms of just like showing how all all aspects of the process are benefiting the environment and humans, other organisms in some capacity.
1: Mm-hmm. What if you grew cordyceps off of a egg that was fed? Cordyceps substrate.
3: Yeah.
1: Be, Maybe I'll get a little wild. boost. Cordyceps. cordycepin in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> third, You know, like third generation egg. Fourth generation yeah. egg. Just keep it going. The
3: egg stuff is wild. Yeah. Have you guys ever played around with that? Like putting, cracking an egg in your substrate
4: and like just mixing it I played around with that.
2: that stuff early on. When I was doing my first experiments back in
4: like twenty sixteen, twenty
2: seventeen. Every one of my
4: recipes have had way too many ingredients, as <laughs> gotcha. I can remember. Never done them simple, just like just egg or milk type mm-hmm. of text.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Nutriented. Uh back in North Carolina
2: one of my got one of my homies put it on like goat milk and rice and it worked out pretty good. Okay. Um but yeah, yeah, so uh We've been playing around with this research project for Jefferson University. I'm actually supposed to go over there tomorrow on uh, myco materials. You know, been playing around with that for a couple of years. There's a lot of people that are getting interested in mushrooms now for other things beyond just farming and fruiting mushrooms. Um, there's so many reasons, other other reasons to grow mycelium. Um, any any new things y'all have seen that's uh, caught your eye?
4: We got. Micro-remediation is huge. Um, heavy metals, have not grown for eating, but actually just like absorbing heavy metals for like urban areas. Mm-hmm. Um, might be something that we might experiment even on this property here, uh, as it was you know li- originally built in 1930s, a lot of uh, lead type stuff in the soils and we're trying to farm this out eventually. So it'd be interesting if we can get some like head lead heavy action going in able to see that revert. Um, we got chickens on the property now, um, urban farming with chickens, lead paint and everything's a tough thing to do. So um, definitely something that we're interested in seeing uh, a little more studies on and see if we can get our hands on some of that so we can push that a little bit ourselves. But uh, heavy metal remediations, it's a huge thing that's starting to come out. So
2: Yeah, heavy metals is the toughest one um, since they can't be broken down. Uh, it's it's more of like an accumulation game, so uh, I think I think that, I mean, with all of the minds that we have and quantum computers and AI and everything like that, I think that some kids are probably going to figure out like tech for the mix. Um, for uh, accumulating and like, you know, like magnetic resonating p- like heavy metal particles out of biomass or something, you know, <laughs> know what I mean, like something's going to come up soon. Um, anything else? Anything else y'all seen?
3: Yeah, I saw a little bit ago. Do you guys know much about? I think it's called Milo. I might be wrong, but it's the leather. Like, yeah, like mycelium based leather, mm-hmm. and like, I think that's such a cool, like, field that I see getting bigger in years to come is, um, just like, making clothing and different items, fashion items like handbags, whatever, out of sustainable materials like Milo shirts, hoodies, wallets, and stuff like that. I don't know much about it in the YouTube video I watched, but it um, seems like a very promising application for, for my ceiling.
2: Yeah, definitely like on like a DIY, like low key tip, like grown some skin, some like reishi skin. I'm sure you have also, um, you know. Uh, so I think a lot of I think a lot of people are playing with the reishi skins, but there's a lot of other mushrooms that'll produce a skin. Even the Ishnoderma produces a skin, um, so.
3: Is that different from just cultivating the mushroom itself?
2: Yeah, you can you can get certain mushrooms or uh, certain uh, mycelium while you're growing it to produce like a skin layer on the outside um, that's like like growing off of the sawdust, but like okay. protecting
4: the inner mycelium. It's like um, an uh, anaerobic growth usually, where it like fluffs out a little bit further. hmm yeah.
2: And you can like peel it off the block.
3: What do you have to do differently to get that to start growing? Just, like, agitate
2: the block, get some more right. air on the outside of it, but keep it in, like, the contain. Like, just peel the plastic away from the mycelium, and it'll usually just, like, form, like, a skin layer. Okay. Um, that just
4: reminded me of the project of uh, the hypomyces, or for dye pur- uh, extraction. Where oh. You just, like, took the hypomyces mushrooms. Blended um, it up, that one? Yeah, and then yeah. just laid it back out, and the whole thing just, like hypomycete the whole way across, Cause mm-hmm. so it's like there's not much red in that Hypomyces lactiflus mm-hmm. So like, it's a lobster mushroom. They a lobster okay. So they had to like, you could extract it, but you're that's not my buddy get Sydney. Get much out of it, but he really they, ground they, that thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. put it back into the cake, it grew the whole way across the whole cake. It's like I didn't even know that would be. I mean, that's Hypomyces for you, I guess. But
0: yeah, like I mean, so have y'all just
4: like dye extractions that are huge? I mean, we saw the price on those uh, indigo. Milkies or Mm -hmm. no no, the uh blue chanterelles.
2: The yeah, the polyzelus multiplex?
4: Not for eating. Like they're not great. They're okay. But they're not great. The price was all for that blue dye. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean it was it was pretty. Yeah, it'll even
2: just dye your your whatever basket you have blue.
4: Cooking it, the butter just like blued out. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Pretty. But yeah, the um with the lobster mushroom, if you get a lobster mushroom and you cut it in half, it's all white in the middle. So my buddy Sydney, they uh blended it up and put it out into a tray and then just let the hypomyces just rip across the whole thing and they got way more of that red pigment um, out of it that way mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah that, I There's mean money
4: in those mushroom pigments
2: bro I think at this point like like if you can just like if you can if, if that's how this works and this summer when we go pick some lobster mushrooms I say we Dead pick game. I say we pick all of the other russulas, all the lactifluce and russulas that are around it also, because, like, a significant amount of them are edible. The lactifluce is more edible so than the russulas. There may be some russulas that may be a little bit off or give you gastrointestinal distress, but I think if we keep them all isolated and then just blend up the lobster mushroom with it and then just spread them out, then you can end up with way more lobster mushroom than you sought after. Mm -hmm. Like, if you, like... We gotta figure out the ratio. Like, one lobster mushroom per every, every three, five, un-inoculated, three uninoculated or every five <laughs> uninoculated lactofluce, and then you get like a, like a freaking tray lobster of, of lobster umami cake. Oh, oh and then sasimi daho. Make- <laughs> <laughs> lobster molds. Bro, a little. <laughs> oh, yeah!
0: SOP! That's a patent, bitch!
1: SIP! Yo, lock that bitch up. It's not on the
2: podcast.
0: <laughs> Bro! That's not awesome on the podcast, podcast, like, hold the fuck <laughs> up, bro, bro. What are we talking about? That's something.
3: So, what, you, so you put like it in this. a mold, it'll actually form to... We just put the saying. mushroom
2: mash in the mold. With, like, you blend it up, you throw in the lobster mushroom, blend it all up together, and just stick that bitch in the mold.
4: Yeah. The outside would be nice and red. Yeah. And it'll, like, fuse. White. Ah! <laughs> I'm, dead. Yeah. I'm like, dead. I'm thinking so I'm like, um, <laughs> like, the pan that Golden Grills had hanging up, that was just, like, the whole ass lobster. <laughs>
0: Bro, bro,
4: and then freeze it, and then sell it across the
2: United States as frozen lobster mushroom. Yeah, like, like for vegans, yeah. For like a fucking, yeah. do You yeah. know how they sell this? some lobsters. You know how they sell those like fake turkeys for vegans for Thanksgiving, just like yeah, yeah like or... the fake
3: lobster yeah. for like. Are they vegans. called lobster mushrooms because mm-hmm. of the color and and? They like smell fishy and it. yeah,
4: it gotcha. very much like a coolie fleshy. Right. Okay, but wait, wait, it's and not it looks, looks like, like a lobster t- claw. Oh, does it okay. everything about it? man. It's gotcha.
2: really... Yo, what's his name Rogan got Jamie bro. We gotta get we gotta get Jamie over here to be Jamie
3: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just pull something up
2: but Yeah, lobster mushrooms looks like Kapow
3: it looks like that gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I think I've seen this
0: before and they're rare here in it's Pennsylvania. Stuff. It's a hypomyces, yeah. so it's a mushroom
3: that
4: gets acciated <laughs> by a secondary <laughs> mushroom. Uh, the actual mushroom typically isn't edible. And then that hypomyces grows over it and like hardens mm-hmm. it, grows over its gills so it stops it from producing. Okay. And just like hardens the whole thing. Because regular mushrooms are just like squishy regular gilled everyday yeah. looking mushrooms. They it's there? not necessary
2: that those aren't edible. It's just that they're Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, there's a couple Like, of don't taste good things. and not that medicinal beneficial. Yeah you, right. yeah, you would never want it. You would never
2: want it otherwise.
3: Yeah. Unless we're, like, so surviving. So yeah, I just need to eat something. But yeah, like, if it, ideally it tastes good. If it doesn't, then hopefully there's some medicinal benefit to it. And if neither, then it's, like, what's the point? of mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. those lactarius mushrooms they grow on have a super bitter milk. I don't know. I don't know if that cooks out or not, but...
3: Like, it produces a milk if you, like, squeeze it? They, yeah, they produce a natural
4: latex, like, Latex milk, okay, like lettuce.
3: <laughs> oh,
4: okay. Um, yeah, anything else as far as uh, cutting edge micro innovations? No, nah, I, I mean, like, it's, I mean, I you think all of this is electricity like electricity thing going on. Oh, with the
2: algae, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I seen like somebody use a button mushroom as like, as like. Matrix to grow algae on top of it, and then utilize the chemical reaction of the photosynthesis to like generate an electrical charge on like a graphene, three D printed graphene matrix that they put on top of the button mushroom too. Um, It would take a dumb amount of those to like produce a significant amount of electricity, but just the idea of it, like imagine just like that's a project. A mycelial structure that you make that's like like the wetness of the mushroom, like the in the nutrient on the mushroom was what feeds the algae. So like imagine making like a, a living mycelium panel like freaking like, I don't know, like LED lichen matrix, or I mean like a, a 3D printed lichen matrix or something. Um, I mean all of this I feel like.
4: A mycelium wall. Mhm. It's just like producing for that room.
2: Synthetic, synthetic, synthetic lichen wall. Um, I think all of this is leading into just like I don't know, a revolution. Like there's like a total mushroom revolution going on right now. And like, I think it's like, I think it's, I feel like a lot of people are like jaded on magic or a lot of people are jaded on like the moment and think that, I don't know. I don't know what people think, but like I believe this moment of mushrooms is the same thing when when people in the Middle East and Africa figured out agriculture. Like when they figured out agriculture, for the rest of human history, we've been impacted by this, and we've never lost that knowledge. Like, that's knowledge that's been, like, solidified as, like, part of human culture. It's just what we do. We are agrarians. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we are the agrarian species. Like, but, like, I think that I think that the way we're bringing mushrooms into humanity right now on a big scale will impact humanity forever, and it'll be something that's just, like, just like people grow plants, people grow mushrooms, like it's just like regular, you know? And I think that'll be really powerful into the future whenever it's like commonplace to be able to have these communications because then that'll lead into like way more incredible discoveries when it's not like like people since the 70s just figured out what the word mycelium is. So like that's how long that the idea of just what mycelium is has even been in our culture like, when the kids knows mycelium and knows clamp connections and knows freaking the, the, the spits and corpora and, and, and how nuclei get shot through, like, when the kids understand that and fully embody that, they'll be able to see a, bra- a way bigger picture of what the heck they're actually
4: doing than we've been able to, leave, like, crawl into. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a third grader that tore our place recently. They asked us if we were growing bleeding tooth fungus. Damn, most people don't even know
2: what's a bleeding tooth <laughs> I don't know it. Right. Right. I don't know what do. And I was like, <laughs> well, we haven't discovered
4: the purpose for growing it yet, but if we do find one, we will definitely be working on growing it. And he was like, sweet, let me know. <laughs> is it like an edible mushroom?
3: Or what is... Uh, it's
4: not particularly edible, but like, it like juices out a bunch of like red red exudates out, out of the like, mushroom. Uh, like this white poly- or. Uh, surface but it's a cap as well is it the
2: bleeding one that smells like fish really bad or is that the
4: yeah mm-hmm. okay
1: so i wouldn't want to does that red color leave like a stain like does it is it like a dye yes yeah, a, a little bit, bit so maybe so there's a like a, no, like it's a use like, for it it's not
4: like no saffron dying
2: bro clint for this for this part of the podcast you got to find there's this video of this like wook kid in the woods that has like a bleeding tooth mushroom yeah, and, and he like bites line. it, and a fucking spider like <laughs> crawls up his face, dude. Oh, Yo, it's so fucking hilarious, you don't bro. You think
4: he's gonna like get sick or something? Yeah, it's the mushroom, but it's, it's the spider, oh, dude. Yeah,
2: dude,
3: it just like crawls out, the crawls off the mushroom, and just like crawls up his face. Like jump That's like thing. a nightmare situation. Oh god, yeah. he's just
2: like crunching on this mushroom that you obviously shouldn't be eating. So like the video is already <laughs> just like call. cringe yeah like
3: raw eating a bleeding tooth mushroom It's just like
0: bro wait no wait no and then ah! <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's got to be the first video that pops up if you just search like eating Bleed bleeding tooth mushroom yeah, yeah i want to see that um and now word from our sponsors <laughs> did you guys record the
1: ad read yeah no. Not
3: yet.
0: Can you, uh, give me, Will. Can you give me like a an all right? It was great having you guys for this first episode of Let's Grow with yours truly, Will P. Brown. We can thank you guys for coming on, but something like that. You know what I'm saying?
3: Yes. A nice outro. Yeah.
2: Bro, like, it's like, I'm, like, typing in kid eats bleeding tooth mushroom. Like, anybody on the internet knew that yeah. that, that was a bleeding tooth mushroom, bro. Like, Oh, so yeah, they're not gonna oh it. here we go. Here's the kid. I found it. Yes. I think movie. I've seen yeah. this before.
4: Devil's tooth.
2: Yeah. Yo, why is yeah. the Wi-Fi booty right now?
4: I've seen it. On this- okay. Found this mushroom right here. like already
2: licking his lips about it. I'm really about to eat this shit. Don't mind me though. Heard it was um, inedible. What no the a whoop bro?
3: What does a whoop
2: mean? And I don't know what inedible means. He's spun, like he's done a little bit too much psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like Amanita does not leave a strawberry syrup. Did you say ammonita strawberry
4: syrup? Yeah. Look at all that spicy rat with it.
2: That shit tastes like fish, or it smells like fish, bro. That's so uncomfortable. Ah! ah! I know that
4: shit's kinda of bitter. I think I... It know. is hard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Dude. Fuck that. Oh my god. Holy shit. No. Oh, Alright guys. Thank Ooh. you for joining in. Let's grow Void Padilla Brown. We've had Adam and Don and Justin's gonna be around, you know. Right <laughs> Thanks for joining in. It's been super real. We talked a lot about mushrooms. We talked a lot about fungi. We're gonna be doing more business. Y'all can catch them all on YouTube. Apex Grower, Mushroom Merchants, Microsymbiotics.com. You know the vibes. You know the energy. Let's grow. Let's, Let's grow. grow. <laughs> on the <a> bean, <laughs> We're having fun. Are you digging on this energy? we moving. Cheek on. the bomb What's percolating? Cross your legs. Take a breath. Now we meditating. Burn it down. Burn it down to the ashes. That's that magic. Rise like Phoenix. Double helix. That's your Swiss and me. Taking trips. out to Venice. we with Europeans. Body the A to G. Like we in the Coliseum. Can you come me paradises? Dices? Can you roll it for me? Make it lucky for me.